are listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Finn and Jake and talking about adopting in the UK when you come from somewhere abroad. Hi, both of you. Hello. Hi. Hi, yeah, you two have a really interesting story. Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Uh, so we've been together for, I think, about seven years. We've been married for um, three, four years, three years now? Three yeah, years. almost four years. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we've been going through the adoption process now for um, almost two years. Almost two years. Um, yeah, and um, so we met, we met each other in a shoe shop where oh. it used to work. So I just went there as a customer. So we have this kind of funny uh, British rom-com uh, story about <laughs> ourselves. And we also had this funny coincidence that his family is Portuguese. And then my and I'm, I was born in Brazil, but my family is uh, French. And he's French. So in the end, we speak to each other's fathers in our native languages. And we don't understand each other in that sense. So it's quite a mix. Uh, of languages and stories that happen over there. Yeah, you are a truly international couple, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we've been here. I've been I've been here for I've been living in the UK in London for over eleven years now. And you, about nine years. About nine years. Yeah. So you met, and did having children come up early in your relationship? Did one of you force the issue a little bit? How did that come up? I think very early in our relationship, we we talk about marriage and children and family and, you know, future, which I think we came in a point in our life where we wanted serious relationship and we wanted to know what each other wanted, you know, yeah. as a, in a relationship. So from the start, my friends all said, you're crazy. Why are you talking about children if you you just met each other? But um, yeah, we from the beginning, I think both of us, or very clear that that's what we wanted. That's really nice that you're both on the same page in that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. We and and also adoption. I think from the start we talk more about adoption than anything else. So obviously we do consider talk about other options like surrogacy. But for both of us, adoption was the number one from the beginning. Mm. So we were very lucky that we we were both exactly with the same idea. We both come from very large families as well. So I think that's part of why we wanted to, to have a family and we knew that. And the countries that you come from, obviously adoption is really different in different countries. Are there similarities or is it a very different system where you're from? So in Brazil, I don't know a lot about adoption there. I know I have a couple of cousins who were adopted. They were, their parents are French and they were adopted in France, but they were born in Brazil. So I know that there was this process. I remember knowing a little bit more about it, but I think it's quite different in the way of the children themselves, because in the UK, they are mostly taken away from their parents nowadays. Well, I think in the 50s or in the 60s, uh, it was more maybe young, young women who would have children, but didn't want or could not care for them. In the US, you still see a lot of adoption as well. I think when women are pregnant and they already know they want to give for adoption. Well, here, 
it's more about the system or the government having to take them away because of serious problems. And I think in Brazil, it's a bit different in that sense. There's a lot of abandoned children, literally, you know, who are just abandoned by their parents, who have either orphans or, who, you know, who have no family that they can count on. So it's more in that sense of children just being like this, being very abandoned, basically. There. Uh, and then in terms of the actual process, uh, it's quite bureaucratic as well. But I think it's similar to the UK in a way, in the sense of the whole background check and interviews and things like this. So I think in that sense it's similar. What I would say that might be different in Brazil is because, which is a bad thing, is that in Brazil sometimes yeah, you can kind of find a way of doing things, either with money or you know just knowing people. So I think people just cut corners a lot of the time, which is not a good thing. So... I think that's the main difference. And in France, do you have an idea? In France, I think it's pretty much the same. I think it's just less common. People don't really talk about adoption or, yeah. But in terms of like the um, the process and the, 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 the children, it's, it's very similar. Yeah, I'd heard that in France, long-term fostering is more common than adoption, that the state is less willing to sever the links with the birth family, legally sever them, you know? So as you approach this process, I mean, the adoption process anyway can be, you know, it's a lot of detail, it's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of background checks and stuff. Did you approach that with a sense of trepidation because of how complex it might be for them to run those checks on you? Yeah, I think we had an idea that it was going to be complex. Obviously, we knew there was going to have a big background check. I didn't expect so much to be... I think I didn't expect to be so long and also there would be so detailed in terms of interviews, for example, and assessments where they would really, really ask about everything and for us to tell all the stories about childhood and all the feelings we had. So in that sense, it's, it's a big, they really go deep into your history and your feelings and everything you ever felt and had experienced as well. So I didn't, I had... I, I thought it was more the bureaucracy I was kind of prepared for. I did think it was going to be quite bureaucratic in the sense of doing background checks and asking references and things like that. So this this for me was clear, but this whole deep dive into our, our lives was more than I expected, I think. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I think that for me as well, it was the the emotional side of it where it was... They were asking a lot of things that could, you know, anybody could find difficult to hear or trying to find like what's triggering you and what's making you angry or anxious and things like this. That that yeah. was the most difficult part for me, the, the whole uh, paperwork thing. It was, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we knew it, it would be heavy in, in, in paperwork, but yeah. And on the other hand, I didn't find that it wasn't that difficult to me because I'm quite easy to talk about myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not a, a big problem for me. I actually needed some extra interviews because I spoke too much. Just <laughs> social workers. But, um, but it's just something that I wasn't so prepared for. It was almost like a, a therapy sessions that we had. I've heard other people say that they found it quite therapeutic, but... I think I was a bit more with Jake that I just found it quite intrusive at points, you know, that 
it felt really detailed at points and I wouldn't want to put anyone off because it was worth it in the end but but yeah it was it's quite I don't know it does sort of feel like aspects of your life are just scrutinized and dissected and things that are not an issue for you are discussed and discussed and discussed and you just think are we are we still stuck on this you know it just seemed really hard that's absolutely right though in that sense that's true we there was a bit of it was quite intrusive and even though i don't mind talking about myself and it's not a problem for me to you know talk about my experiences it did feel a bit much in uh, sometimes you know, there were things like um, I had a previous relationship with a woman, for example, and they would literally ask, did you used to have sexual relations? And and I just yeah. thought, how is this going to save my <laughs> father or not? You know, I, they said a lot about as well processing the loss of the unborn child, which was something that we struggled a lot because we had to literally try to understand what they meant by it and really, really talk a lot about something that was it seemed so abstract but they kept going back to it so it was quite hard in this sense it's very repetitive yeah yeah and but to be honest like going through the whole process i felt like i came out a different person you know really i kind of improved in my personality and like my engagement with some of the the, the stuff yeah yeah i think it was good in a way because it was quite therapeutic and it was good to go back into places and talk and reflect on things as Mm. well and i think for jake especially because he doesn't talk about his feelings as much as i do or he doesn't you know talk so much about things that happened to him i think it was good because i felt that it was a bit liberating and 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 it was good to kind of put it out and then talk about it. So it, it helped, I think. Did you feel more prepared by the end of the process for a child? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think. And hearing yeah. also others, other couples, uh, you know, therapy and and process, it was very liberating. Like I felt much more secure about myself hearing about others, other people's story. You know, true. We had this assessment as well where. We had two other couples with us and we were supposed to talk about our childhood at some point and we were first and then we both thought, wow, there was like, you know, they're going it, there was obviously like a lot of, of, of bad things that we were telling about bullying or, you know, feelings feelings that we had and we thought this was quite hard. And then when the other couples came in and we were just, wow, their, their stories were even worse than ours. So we were like, wow, we're not, it's not that, that you know, that difficult serious, then because if other people had struggled with other things, other serious things as well. So it made us quite confident in that sense. And plus all the reading and everything that they asked us to do, mm-hmm. it was definitely, I think it was definitely helpful for us to think about feelings. And that's something that we have to do so much and deal so much uh, when we adopt a child that, um, it really prepares us for it. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. Did you feel that your sexual orientation would be a barrier? At first, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if it was going to be or not. But from the, I felt that from the first session, the information session, it was actually a positive thing. So we know that in our agency, they are actually quite positive about LGBT couples, and they actually were seeking, actively seeking you know, gay couples or lesbian couples, because even one of the social, the, the, the manager, the kind of um, lead 
the team lead for the social mm-hmm. workers, she told us that there is a study that, you know, same-sex couples are the best adoptive parents because of expectations as well, that, that they can manage because they already knew they was not going to be exactly, you know, their biological child ever for both of them mm. so they so they actually were very positive about this and they actually engaged in that sense of putting us in a position where we felt that we were actually oh actually okay so we're actually better you know in that sense <laughs> <laughs> so i thought it was quite positive i rather than a barrier i felt it was quite positive what we don't know now it's actually on the matching process which is where we are now where we're looking at the child, the children's profiles, because, and I guess we we're, we're probably going to talk more about this. But when you receive a no from a social worker just based on your profile, we don't know why. So it's really hard to tell if if it's because of our sexual orientation or not. It's just it's just impossible to know. I understand that completely. I think that if you've ever experienced prejudice of any kind then you're primed for it, really, because you've had that experience. So then when something happens and it feels unexplained, then, of course, you start to wonder, well, is that really the explanation? So you're at Matching at the moment, which is, I guess, exciting, but it's a bit of a slog as well, isn't it? Do you want to tell me how that's going? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So we actually just, we had an event today, which was the exchange, exchange day, where we get profiles of children and because of, covid we had to we went there but then it was done virtually so we would just talk to the social workers on a kind of call as a video call okay so they would be remote but we would be there on site uh, and based on the children that we thought you know that we wanted to know a bit more about it this was quite positive when people told us that the matching process was the exciting part but also the frustrating part and they told us and they said look it is the most frustrating part of it and we and we kept wondering how could it be more more frustrating than waiting (laughs) for you know the panel and things like this but it is it actually is and i think it's more because you don't know it's all based in one profile that you have online so if it's like someone visits your social, social media page and then, you know, decide based on that if they want to know more about you for being a good parent. So so it is it's exciting because you look at the children finally. So you finally have the opportunity to, to see and visualize you as a parent because you can visualize a child. But it is frustrating in that sense that you just... They, a lot of times they would just say, we have stronger matches or we're already with someone else. And when they have... When they say stronger matches, it's just a bit like, what does that mean? What What's in our profile that would make you think that we're not strong enough? I think, do you, do you agree? Yeah, yeah. The thing also I wanted to add is we are at this time in our life where we, we don't want to put too much pressure on ourselves and we're just looking at the children a bit more in a casual way. And when when we get a rejection... I think like this is this was not the right child for us, I suppose, and you know just just move on and keep looking. It is frustrating, it is like uh annoying at sometimes, especially not knowing sometimes why we we get a rejection, 
but you know we're just trying let let go and move on and go to the next profile and the the thing that is a bit annoying as well it's the profiles are like very they they paint a very nice picture of the child there is a little breakdown of if there is any concern about the children. That's about it. If you want to know more, you need to contact the social worker, and then you will get a full a full report of the child and the parents and the, the biological family. But sometimes we don't even get to see that report, and we don't understand why because we just want to know more. We're not even requesting anything. But this is this is how it is. So it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be annoying. But you know, it's just the way it is but don't don't take it personally you know we don't take it personally sure it is a slog though I think it's really hard because you can't really plan anything either I mean I guess none of us can plan anything at the moment anyway so it's the right time to be doing this but you can't kind of think well we'll go on holiday next month or I'll start a big project at work or anything really because you're constantly thinking we might get that phone call, we might get that phone call. And it's just weird. You can't be sure what your life's going to look like in three months. It could be the same as today, or it could be that you've got a child or children. And it's just, it really messes with your head, I think. It's true. Yeah, I think what we've been doing, like like Jake was saying, is a lot of these is, um, it's been, you know, we, we're searching for a child, we're looking at them, we're asking for information, we're doing that. But we are also, you know, trying to get on with our things and just don't rush, especially in the middle of a pandemic. It's not such a bad thing that we, you know, if we're doing an adoption process in the middle of a global pandemic, we don't need to rush. We don't need to go and you know, be very <laughs> anxious. We can take our time. So we've been doing this, I think, quite a lot. And it's working for us because it makes us less anxious as well when we receive a no. We just think, you know, that's one step closer to finding the right child for us. I agree with you. I think you have to believe that that child's out there now as we're having this conversation. And it's just a matter of when your paths cross. And it might be that they cross today at the exchange day. Um, I mean, I found my own son at an exchange day. So you're in good company if your child was there. Or, you know, it'll be that your paths cross at some point. You just kind of have to believe it's going to happen. But it's really hard. It is. It is really hard, yeah. And also, I think a big part of it is all the people's expectations, right? And I think we learned this from the beginning as well when we had one profile that we liked so much that we actually talked to people about it. And it was, and then we got a no saying they already, you know, seeking, they, were, they had another family they were trying to link with. And it was frustrating because other people were already kind of talking about it and asking about it. Plus, everyone who knows about the adoptions was, how's the adoption going? How's the adoption? How long do you think? How long? Everyone asks, how mm. long? And we said, we don't know. It's impossible to know. It's not like a pregnancy where you know it's nine months. Yeah. It's not, you know? So it's hard for the people to understand when you're not immersed in the, in the whole process. And you understand that there's no way of knowing how long it's going to take because it could be very quick, but it could actually take a long time. Yeah, I think it's difficult because you you do get excited about specific children and you see a profile. And it's this weird thing because you kind of, your heart has to be involved to pull you towards a particular child. But then if it gets too involved, you don't have the control over making that child yours or not. So it's this weird thing, I think, where you're constantly putting your heart in and then pulling it back out and in and out and I found that quite difficult and in the end 
I sort of needed it to be a bit heart based. I needed it to not just be a good match on paper. I needed to feel it a little bit as well. And um, and that is what we felt when we saw our son at the exchange day. We sort of felt a bit of something for him. And who knows if that one had gone wrong? I'm sure I'd be saying that I felt something for another child. But obviously, I'm glad all the ones that didn't happen now, it feels like they didn't happen and it cleared the decks for the child that it did happen with and it's worked very well, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's why we had uh, most, the, we had a social worker who said exactly that and she said, every time you get a no, every time it doesn't work, you are closer to the child and when you get your child, you will understand that it was meant to be, that it was supposed to be exactly that way because, you know, you will feel it's your child. You, you won't be able to think, you know, all the way. You won't think there could be someone else. So I think that's good. That's that's a good thing that we keep thinking about. So it helps a lot. So tell me about the child that you're looking for. Is it is it one child or two? Or what sort of age are you looking for? What's the kind of dream that you, you're hoping for? So we're looking for one. We would be open to two if it was possible. But with the whole assessment and then size of the flat where you live and things like this, you know, it's just we approve for one child now. Um, and Realistically, one child would yeah. be ideal. For yeah, us. exactly. And to be honest, too, yeah, thinking much. about our lives, yeah, one child, I think it was already going to be quite um, a lot for us. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we need to, to put our feet in the ground. Um, and we're looking between one and five years old. Mm-hmm. So that's the the age range we agreed. Yeah, when we started, we did talk about babies and then Jake was a bit more leaning towards babies and younger, while I was a bit... two and... Yeah, and I was a bit more... Exactly, yeah. And we also had different social workers suggesting different things as well mm. so that was be hard in a way at some point because we we thought more about younger children because we thought um that's easier in terms of trauma but then we our second social worker she said something that was very interesting she said don't exactly think like this because a lot of couples think that all you need to do is to give them love and then you fix everything and that's mm. not true it is a lot of work. And then what she said is that when the child is a bit older, like three, four, five years old, you know more about them. So you are able in a way to connect more and to actually investigate anything you need to. And then when they're going to school, you already have also um, an understanding on the range of anything. If they are learning disabilities, if there are any other challenges that might come. The social behaviour. The social behaviour. The other children. Yeah, so you will know more. Exactly. Well, if it's a very young child, you wouldn't know until they actually start going to nursery and to school. So they are like, they are both sides into both. So we were quite happy to be like, to be one to five because we can think about all of these and we can actually look and try to connect with the child and think, you know, there'll be both sides. Um, but it was very good. It was very good to talk to, to the social worker and to think about this side of things as well. And when you were going through that checklist, if you like, of um, what what issues you would consider, what issues you wouldn't consider, did you find that a process that you were largely agreed on or were there points that you had to discuss and negotiate that and how did you handle that there were points we had to discuss about yeah um 
first it was about the the whole language thing because like we said at the beginning we're very we, we we speak different languages we speak english to each other but i speak french you speak portuguese and you know if the child has like a delay in learning a language uh that's going to be a bit problematic for us i believe and there were other things like this that we had to discuss a few times also there was this child who had eating disorder oh yeah and i have a friend who had a eating uh, eating disorder and i was there with him and he still has this eating disorder and i believe this is something that would be manageable but maybe maybe after more conversation when it when it comes from a child maybe it's a bit more complicated it's a bit more to it that i didn't know and we talk about this as well because we discussed with our social worker the fact that food is a big part of our lives we love eating we love cooking so we you know so that's something that we start thinking if there's a child that hates eating for example you know and they they really difficult with things that they eat that could be difficult for us and frustrating and the other way around if there's a child who is already struggling with obesity for example for some reason that's something that we need to think and consider because obviously it's not that we wouldn't that we would do food that is not healthy but it is something that we like and if it's something that we need to lose is you know we need to think about all of this we need to consider so there were things like this that we talk about we did agree in a lot of things but because our personalities are also different in certain things for example learning disabilities it's something that we had to discuss in you know to what extent would we be able as well to to help as parents and and it is this part is quite difficult because when we tell people as well about this you, at at first when they read the list of things you do feel a bit guilty to say no i don't want a child like that but but they said you need to be realistic and you need to be honest to yourself you need to think that it needs to be a child that you can care for and there are other parents there that might be able to care for them in a better way because of they have the skills or because they have the right personality so you do need to think on the uh, you need to think about the child and how you can actually be the best parent for them and then when you start thinking about this i think it helps because you can you can relax a little bit and not feel guilty you just just be honest and just say you know yeah that's that's something that i that i that i could or i could not and i think on the learning disabilities for me for example is very important that we raise a child that can be independent you know that they they would succeed on whatever they want to do you know either as a, something artistic or if it's something more i don't know mathematical whatever they want to do but it is something that we think and project so i think that's important for us so it's something that that we we discussed quite a lot in the beginning when we were looking through the list and then you know deciding what we could and could not yeah i understand that it's quite personal isn't it because lots of children will have something that is either an unknown or something that you will have to manage contend with support them with whatever it is but i think it's true that picking the thing that you feel most confident most able most willing to deal with is better than saying okay well i'll i'll take a child who's got an issue that I don't feel comfortable dealing with or I don't have the skills or 
I have the skills, but I don't want to do it. I think it's better to go with the issues that you can support because, of course, you know, you probably said yes to lots of things, lots of particular needs that you could support. So I think you're right in being cautious about the ones that you feel least able to. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think we've thought a lot about this. And, yeah, you need to be, you need to think about yourself and how you can support them. I think that's exactly it. And is there anything that you're particularly nervous about or, you know, what wakes you up at three in the morning when you're thinking, oh, God? That's a good that's a good question. I think it's just being being a parent. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I think in the beginning I, I was really worried about money, about the you know the finance side of it, and thinking, oh my god, I really don't want to struggle with money. And I think because I grew up in a way where I did see moments where my parents were struggling with money, and you know, and being responsible of things like this without personal finance, it was very important to me. And I think I relax a bit more now and I throughout the process I learn a lot a little bit about with the pandemic as well, to be honest. I, I saw that, you know, there are ways of saving money, you know, you know basically when you basically don't do anything else. Um, <laughs> so so there are things that can be done. So I, I'm a bit I, I'm a bit more relaxed about this now. I think I used to worry quite a lot i think we seen we do have a few friends who are having children right now mm-hmm. and it's just listening when they say it is very hard because for the first years of your life it's just it the, the center of your life is now someone else it's not you anymore so i think what worries me is this when i'm sick for example you know i'm feeling ill or i'm um you know i'm i will have to think about my child first and it's just kind of thinking like this, how everything will be on someone else, especially on the first years, until things are more settled, until the child is a bit older as well. Uh, so for me personally, I think that's, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that surprised me when I became a parent, um, because I don't know, about six weeks in or something, it just suddenly occurred to me, this child is always here. This child's never not here. And it just was a, such a surprise somehow. I don't know where I thought it would go. But I just thought, this is a rice log. There's never a break from this. I can never sort of lay on the city and watch Columbo or something on a Sunday afternoon, you know, and eat crisps and popcorn. Because this baby needs stuff all the time. And the relentlessness sort of occurred to me at that stage. But it's, of course, balanced with loads of wonderful stuff. So it is a slog. Of course it is. But, but it is sort of balanced up you know quite a lot by a lot of other lovely stuff I know what you mean as well about the being ill while having a child thing is you just suddenly feel rubbish the kind of rubbish that if you'd felt like that before you'd be under a duvet demanding things from your partner and suddenly you can't be under a duvet demanding things because the child needs you to not be doing that and so you sort of shuffle through the world feeling a bit rubbish you know so I I recognize that yeah exactly I think (laughs) and it's exactly this as well about there's no break, there's no off button, right? So we read a book where it was quite funny and the was a it was an adoptive parent and he him and his husband had um a little boy, adopted a little boy, and then he says that the bathroom becomes the place when you go to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite funny. <laughs> and I, then I told this to my mom and she said, Oh, a hundred percent Brilliant. <laughs> This is not a good sales pitch, is it, that we're doing it? No, it's not exactly. <laughs> um, I'm, being, I'm preparing myself since I read there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I understand completely. 
my mum describes that when I was little, she hid in a cupboard once so she could eat some chocolate uninterrupted. She was holding the inside of the cupboard door shut so that I couldn't get in to share this chocolate with us. <laughs> yeah, desperate times. <laughs> I know that you haven't got your child yet, but I'm sure that your child is out there somewhere. So I'm assuming that, you know, at some point you might come back and maybe tell us about how it all turned out. We'd love to hear that. But I just wonder, as people who've just been through the process really recently, have you got advice for anybody who's listening to this and thinking about it? My advice first will be patience, patience and patience, because it is uh, it is long. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be instant. You know, um, we know how it works, especially when you are with an agency that is part of the government. Things do take time, you know, so you just need to stop worrying about this and, you know, don't think about, don't rush. Just take your time, you know, enjoy as well while you can everything because it will be emotionally difficult sometimes. But if you are patient and you already have these mindset of being like this and knowing that it's going to be a slow process this already is is really helpful and i think as well just you know be honest just be honest just put your feelings out there just be open to everything talk a lot about it you know talk about your childhood talk to your partner have a lot of conversations think about scenarios as well because you know, you will need that. And you you have loads of interviews. They will really look into your life, but it can be really good. And I, to be honest, in a way, I think any couple or any parent, single or couple, any parent should go through a process like this. I think it would be really helpful. I see my friends and I think a lot of my friends would benefit from a process where they actually have an assessment in a way of, you know, of, of talking about things and looking at your feelings you know and learning as well and it is a lot of learning so you do get you do become better people in the end so so i would say that what do you think um yeah be patient uh be brave as well like you need to you need to be uh confident going in and yeah yeah don't doubt yourself i think that's a good thing the conf the confident um thing is is good just think that you know you're good if you're certain that you want to be a parent and that's quite important you you need to be on the same page if you are a couple and if you are single adopter you you really need to be certain because it is a long process and you know and they will see that but but be confident in yourself and just you know ask things and look for information and read because it will help and it will make you more prepared, you know. Um, so I think that's a, good, that's a good point. I think at the beginning they told us it will take around 9 to 12 months. If it was quick, it if could it was take quick. about 9. The quickest way was 9 months. But I knew it was not going to be because... Be <laughs> so they'll so. probably tell you the same thing, <laughs> yeah. but don't expect 9 months. <laughs> exactly. Don't think that it's going to be 9 months. Just expect for more. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's really good advice. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank my guests today, Finn and Jake. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. 
We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you.